Welcome again, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Now, we've got a crack engineer. This guy's good. His name is Alan Dempsey. You've heard that name before. Uh, He gets us on the air. And uh, uh, Andrew Herdliska does the producing of this show, which is a huge task, but he does it every week for us. And in this first segment, I want to welcome Wayne Grudem to Orlando. (coughs) Excuse me. He is the Distinguished Research Professor of Theology and Biblical Studies at Phoenix Seminary in Arizona. Uh, He's in Scottsdale, author of Systematic Theology, Second Edition, An Introduction to Biblical Doctrine. Wayne, welcome to Orlando. How are you? Thank you, Pat. Good to be with you. What is uh, systematic theology, and what is biblical doctrine? Can you explain that? Systematic theology is taking different topics and telling what the whole Bible says about those topics. Like, what does the Bible say about the deity of Christ? What does the Bible say about the atonement? What does the Bible say about justification? Mm -hmm. What does it say about the Trinity? Taking different doctrines and trying to go through the whole Bible find the verses that talk about that doctrine, and then summarize what the Bible teaches in a way that people can understand. Well, your book breaks down into seven parts, so let's get started. Part number, right. part number one, the doctrine of the Word of God. Uh, explain that to us, Wayne. Well, Pat, I have to say now, you're telling me in about two minutes to tell people <laughs> what I take 22 classroom hours to teach, but... <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll give it a try. Uh, the doctrine of the Word of God has to do with where the Bible came from, how we got the books of the Bible, mm-hmm. how they grew, in uh, starting with Moses and then later prophets writing different parts. And when the collection of the Bible came to an end, that's called the canon of Scripture. Mm-hmm. And we get to the authority of Scripture, that it claims to be God's words. And in fact, uh, as we read it, we're persuaded that the Bible is the very words of God, not just human words. Because of that, um, the Bible has authority in our lives more than any other writing or any other book, because it's the only book that is God's words as well as merely human words. And we distinguish that from liberal Protestant teaching, which would say that the Bible is merely human words, not divine words. That's the authority of Scripture. Then we go to the inerrancy of Scripture, mm-hmm. which means the Bible doesn't say any, doesn't tell, doesn't affirm anything that is contrary to fact or untrue. It's truthful in all it says. And then we look at different alleged contradictions in the Bible and show how those aren't really contradictions and they're not historically inaccurate. They're truthful, completely truthful in every way. And we look at um, the clarity of Scripture. It's written so that we can understand it. Even young children can begin to understand it, and then as adults, we understand it more fully. It's not mysterious. It's able to be understood. It's called clarity. Then the necessity of Scripture is we need the Bible to tell us who God is and how we can be saved. It's necessary. Um, and then the sufficiency of Scripture, we're not to add to the commands of Scripture and put on people many, any more requirements and the Bible itself would justify. So that's the doctrine of, that's the first part. That's the doctrine of the Word of God or the doctrine of Scripture. Wayne, then part two, 
uh, is called the doctrine of God. Uh, how does that differ from the doctrine of the Word of God? Well, then we begin to talk about God himself, and how do we know that he exists? Can we know him? Yes, we can know him personally, even though he's invisible, he's with us. We can talk to him in prayer, and he communicates with us in his word and through guidance from the Holy Spirit. (coughs) Then uh, we talk about the attributes of God, that he's eternal, uh, unchanging, omnipotent or all-powerful, omniscient or all-knowing. In fact, we talk about 30 attributes of God. One of my favorites is God's blessedness or joyfulness or happiness. Um, He delights in all his works and all that he's created and all that reflects his will. And he wants us uh, to imitate his blessedness and have joy in our lives. Uh, we talk about other attributes of God, his um, unchangeableness, his faithfulness, his truthfulness, his justice, his wrath, his mercy. Anyway, we go into 30 attributes of God, talking oh. about who God is and what he is like and how we know him. That tends to be very encouraging for students or for readers of this book, Systematic Theology. People tell me that they they read it and it deepens their relationship with God and and strengthens their spiritual life. And I'm thankful for that. The reflection on who God is does that. And we talk about the doctrine of the Trinity. And how can God be three persons, yet one being? It's it's something we can understand a little bit about, but ultimately it's, it's a mystery because If I have three friends and I'm talking to them, I know what it means to have three different persons talking to me, interrelating with me. But I've never seen or experienced anyone who is three persons yet one being. And um, how can that be? It's something we don't and cannot understand in this life. I think that's because God didn't make anything in creation that is entirely like himself. So that's the doctrine of the Trinity, and that ends... Part two, The Doctrine of God. My guest is Wayne Grudem. He's in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. We're talking about his book, Systematic Theology. We've come to part three, Wayne. It's called The Doctrine of Man in the Image of God. What's that mean? Okay, now, that I um, I skipped some parts of what I had in the doctrine of God, I was thinking at a separate section on creation. Now, you've caught me with a little shorthanded. There are other aspects of the doctrine of God that I didn't cover in section two that I didn't mention to you. as the creation. How did God create the world? Mm-hmm. And, um, when? And how does that, uh, why is that teaching of the Bible, I think, in, incompatible with the understanding that we all came about by evolutionary change? And chance, and uh, then there's the doctrine of providence, which is how God sovereignly rules over creation. Mm-hmm. And miracles, does God still work miracles today? I believe He does. Mm-hmm. And then uh, prayer, how do we relate to God in prayer? And we've got a whole section on prayer in this book, Systematic Theology. And then, uh, still under the doctrine of God, I include the doctrine of angels and Satan and demons, uh, spiritual entities for good or for ill. 
now that was part two. Now you said the creation, the doctrine of man in the image of God. Part three, yes. Part three. Um, so that has to do with the creation of man as male and female, creation in the image of God, meaning, meaning we are like God and we represent him. We're more like God than anything else in all creation. and We represent him on the earth, and he wants us to represent him faithfully and reflect his nature in our conduct. Man is male and female. He made us as, create us as men and women. It's very relevant today. There are only two kinds of human beings. There's a male human being and a female human being, and they are not interchangeable. And he made us equal in his image and equal in importance, but different in roles. And we have different roles in marriage and in the church. Um, then we talk about the essential nature of man. Are we are we one part, just physical body, or is there two parts to us, a physical part and a spiritual part? And I believe there's an immaterial part, which we call a soul or spirit. Some people think soul and spirit are different, but I think they're two different words for the same thing, the, uh, the non-physical part of our being. We talk about... Pat, where do I break this? Is the doctrine of sin... That's still under the doctrine of, let's see, part three. Well, I'll talk about the nature of human beings as sinful and what is the nature of sin, what what does it consist of, yes. and uh, where did it come from. We talk about that. And uh, then uh, I think we're getting close to the next section, the section of... Yeah, there's one more here, um, but we've got to take a break. And when we come back, uh, let's uh, jump right into part four. The Doctrines of Christ and the Holy Spirit. Wayne Grudem, a distinguished research professor of theology and biblical studies at Phoenix Seminary. He's our guest. More after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word, in Orlando. Professor Wayne Grudem is our guest. He's in Scottsdale, Arizona. His book, Systematic Theology. And in that first part of our show, we covered the doctrine of the Word of God. And then uh, Wayne explained the doctrine of God. And then the doctrine of man in the image of God. Wayne, we've arrived at part four. It's called The Doctrines of Christ and the Holy Spirit. I'm eager to hear about this. Well, Pat, we... uh talk in this section. I should say this. Um, could I say something generally about the book? Please, please, absolutely. Yes, well, I wrote this book, Systematic Theology, in order to explain and teach first-year seminary students what the doctrines of the Bible are and what they what they hold to, what they uh, advocate and affirm. And I wrote it so that um, you don't need a background in seminary training to, to read the book, I wrote it so it would be clear to ordinary Christian believers who leave their Bible and read their Bible but want to be able to put it all together in terms of what they should believe. So it's, a, it's an overview of the Bible's teachings on various topics. And um, many people who aren't seminary students have read it and, I, I, and said they've really come to a new understanding of many of the teachings of Scripture and it's been helpful to their Christian lives. So called Systematic Theology, an Introduction to Biblical Doctrine. 
Um, in fact, that I, I I went to one church where 800 people had read through the book. Really? After at a time, yeah. Mm. Um, well, okay, so part four, the doctrine of Christ, the person of Christ. How is it that Jesus is fully man, truly human, and fully divine, fully God as well, in one person? And I go through sort of the history of early in the church where people had different ideas of how Jesus could be God and man in one person. And finally it got resolved at the uh, 451 A.D. in the Council of Chalcedon, where the leaders of the church agreed that Jesus was fully God and fully man, and that the property of each nature, the human nature and the divine nature, the property of each nature was preserved so that Jesus could be in one place at one time as a, as a human being, but everywhere present as an omnipresent deity or God. He could be hungry and tired, weary with his journey at the well at Samaria, but he could be omnipotent God who could still the storm and calm the raging sea. So that's the person of Christ. Then the atonement, how is it that Jesus' death paid for our sins? And what does his sacrifice consist of and what did it mean? And the resurrection and ascension of Christ into heaven um, what does the Bible say about the resurrection of Christ? What kind of body did he have when he was raised from the dead? And what kind of body will we have when we're given a new body when Christ returns? And then uh, and talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit empowers us and uh, guides us and uh, strengthens us, and what he does in terms of his work in our life every day. So that's the doctrine of Christ and the Holy Spirit. That's part four. Let's move to part five. The doctrine of the application of redemption. What does all that mean, Wayne? Well, that's a big unit. Um, how much how are we doing on time? We're Pat? doing just fine. We're doing just fine. You're doing perfect. Just keep teaching us, sir. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're already at chapter 31, uh, Common Grace. That is... When people sin, God doesn't immediately take their life and send them to the eternal punishment. Mm. But God gives, even to unbelievers who don't trust in Christ, he gives innumerable blessings, rain and fruitful seasons, uh, all the uh, food that we see in the grocery store, um, knowledge that people get when they go to school and then to college and uh, do scientific research. Um blessing of government so that we aren't overrun by lawlessness, Um, the blessing of um, joy in personal relationships. Jesus said God makes his son to rise on the just and the unjust and sins reign as well. And um, so common grace is the teaching that God gives to people many undeserved blessings that they don't deserve as sinners but they still have those blessings, even though they're not redeemed by Christ. They're blessings that come from living in this ordinary, in this world in an ordinary life. Then uh, we talk about predestination, what it technically is called election, and uh, how God, before the foundation of the world, cho- chooses us to be saved. We talk about the nature of the gospel message and what it consists of, and how God empowers it to bring about a change in us spiritually, make us spiritually alive in what is called regeneration or giving a new 
new life to us spiritually. Then we talk about conversion, which is when a person comes to saving faith in Christ and repents of sin. Those are two different parts of the same action, turning away from sin and turning to trust in Christ. Next thing that happens to us is God justifies us. That means he declares that we're not guilty, but we have Christ's righteousness reckoned, counted to our benefit. That's the justification or right legal standing before God. Then there's adoption, that is God makes us members of his family, makes us his sons and daughters. These are all the benefits that come with mm. salvation. Mm. Uh, then uh, there's a process in the Christian life, which I just talked about yesterday in class, called sanctification. That's becoming more like Christ in our daily lives. That's a progress, a progressive work that continues throughout our life. Then we talk about a bat, uh, controversy over the baptism with the baptism in the Holy Spirit and filling with the Holy Spirit, and how there are different views in the Protestant world about when that happens. Then um, there's something called the perseverance of the saints. That is the question of how do we know if we're going to remain believers throughout life. I think once a person has genuinely trusted in Christ for salvation, that uh, that benefit of being uh, a born-again child of God, that will continue throughout our lives, and God, through his work of the Holy Spirit, will keep us believing and trusting in Christ uh, until the end, until we die. But some people don't persevere after they make a profession of faith, and we have to ask the question, did they really have a heart change? Did they really trust in Christ? Did they really repent of sins? Or was it just um, a temporary intellectual change without a really change in their heart? And then uh, the question of what happens when we die? Our bodies are put in the grave, in the earth, but our spirits or our souls, I think that the two words are the same thing, uh, go immediately into the presence of God in heaven. Paul says he would rather die and be with Christ, but that is far better. And Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. So there's an expectation that immediately when we die, our souls go into God's presence. But then there's something else that's going to happen that's even better. At the end of our lives, we go to heaven, but we wait. Uh, Our bodies remain in the grave for that time until the day that Christ returns to earth in the second coming. And when he returns, um, our bodies will be raised from the dead and made new, made whole into resurrection bodies that will never grow old or become sick again. Mm. Uh, but we'll have eternal life in our in our remade, newly created, newly renewed Christian, um, really newly renewed physical bodies. That's called glorification in a technical word technical sense. And all of this has happened to us because God in our salvation unites us with Christ and we become those who are in Christ or with Christ, united with him in his death and resurrection. So that is the doctrine of the application of redemption. That's part five. Oh, my, Wayne. <clears throat> I feel like, <clears throat> excuse me, like we're sitting in one of your classes. Uh, <laughs> You'd have, you'd have a test coming up. Yeah, I don't want the test, though. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Part six. The doctrine of the church. What is that about? 
right? Um, so I could mention uh, when I teach this in class, uh, Pat, um, the final exam uh, at the end of the course is a, it's a two-hour exam. Really? There are three questions. It'll be something like this. Discuss the doctrine of the Trinity or discuss the doctrine of the person of Christ. Mm. And students will write for 40 minutes on each of those questions. So I'm, I have them have a Bible with them. They can use their Bible, and I want them to be able to go to the Scripture and find where in the Bible it teaches these different doctrines and why we should believe them from the teachings of Scripture. So now, part six, the doctrine of the Church. Uh, we talk about what is the Church, how do you know what a true Church is versus a false Church. And then we talk, talk about the purity and unity of the Church. We want to be united with other believers. But there are some churches that claim to be churches and go off the rails in their teaching and no longer hold to the deity of Christ or the resurrection or uh, the Trinity and um, when, or the Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God as well as human words. If these churches begin to profess things that are contrary to Scripture, then are they really a true church? Eventually they become, uh, they come into a category of what would be a false church and I talk about um, uh, groups like Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses uh, that I would say are not true Christian churches, even though they claim to be. But they've denied uh, essential doctrines of the faith. And there are some liberal Protestant churches as well that would, um, you see in the headlines, they would ordain as a priest or a bishop or a pastor uh, someone who denies the resurrection of Christ or denies the deity of Christ and um, denies the atonement of Christ for our sins, and then we would say they are no longer a true church because they've denied essential teachings of the Christian faith. So we talk about that. I have a little section in here also about the differences between our friends who are Roman Catholics and our friends who are evangelical Protestants. And I list, I think, 13 differences from the, just quoting the Catechism of the Catholic Church, the 1995 edition, and uh, saying, where, whereas we agree with our, our Roman Catholic friends in many areas, in some areas we respectfully disagree, and I list which those areas are. And the power of the Church in Church discipline and spiritual realities. And the nature of Church government we talk about, should there be elders and deacons, and should there be bishops, and how should they be chosen as church government? Means of grace within the church, we talk mainly about baptism and the Lord's Supper. Should infants be baptized, or just people who make a profession of faith as they pass beyond infancy into a maturity of some level? And then the Lord's Supper, what is the nature of the bread and the wine, or the bread and the juice which we take? Is it spiritually... Christ's body and blood, or is it literally Christ's body and blood? There's differences on that, of course, and I, I believe it's a spiritual reality. What is the nature of worship, and why should we worship together, and what makes meaningful worship? We talk about that in the chapter on worship. And then um, the next chapter is the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I spend some time talking about miraculous gifts, uh, prophecy, healing, uh, spiritual distinguishing between spirits, spiritual warfare, um, speaking in tongues and interpretation. And there are 
intense differences in the Christian world about those, but we discuss those different viewpoints. That's the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and that ends part six, the doctrine of the church. Now, Wayne, we've got about a minute uh, to do part seven, the doctrine of the future. Uh, Fill us in. When is Christ coming back? We don't know. How will he come back in bodily form to reign over the earth? Will he initiate a thousand-year reign of perfect peace when he is the world ruler? I believe so. It's called the millennium from a Latin word meaning thousand years. And then we talk about the nature of final judgment and heaven and hell, and the nature of eternal life in heaven and eternal punishment in hell. And that is the doctrine of the future, and that brings us to the end of the book. And the book is called, again, Systematic Theology. Well, Wayne, I feel like we have... Uh taken a whole semester, packed it into 25 minutes. And uh, I am so thankful that we were able to hook up and talk about your book, Systematic Theology. All the very best to you, Wayne. Thank you so much. Thank you, Pat. Good to talk to you. Uh, Folks, uh, we've got more. Uh, Stay with us uh, right here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Uh, We'll be right back. Wayne Grudem, our guest from Scottsdale, Arizona, talking about his book, Systematic Theology. We go from Scottsdale to Charlotte, North Carolina, and we found Ann Nielsen, owner of Ann Nielsen Fine Art Gallery in Charlotte, author of Ann Nielsen's Angels, Devotions, and Art to Encourage, Refresh, and Inspire. Uh, Wonderful to catch up with you, Ann. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good, Pat. I'm good. I hope you're doing well. I am. Thank you. Welcome to Orlando. Uh, t- <laughs> tell me tell me about your book. Well, this little precious gem, it's a 40-word um, a devotional. Um, I'm well known for my ethereal angels that I paint. I painted my first angel about, oh gosh, 19 years ago. And um, when I painted that first little angel, I sent a picture to my sister asking her her thoughts. And she said, I think you have found your voice. And um, it truly has become a life song for me. Um, It's just been a a huge ministry. So this precious little book um, is the newest one. And it's just got 40 new angels, 40 words, and 40 devotionals to just encourage, refresh, and inspire everyone out there, because we all need that right now. Well, let's dive in. Topic number one, you simply call love. Uh, Tell us about it. Well, I just, um, you know, these words were chosen. They're all random. They weren't chosen in any specific order, but, you know, love is is the most powerful word out there, I believe. Um, You know, love is it's what God, you know, he, he demonstrated that on the cross for us and for God so loved the world mm-hmm. that he gave his only son. And I just, you know, I talk about love. Um, it's, it's a peculiar word. We can, you know, love our pets. We can love the, the meal that we made. We can love our children some of the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, I just, I chose love to really, you know, focus on um, just loving others. And I have so many stories out there about, um, 
you know, disconnecting and loving one another. Um, so that, that's, that's, that's word number one. Word number two is called life. Tell us more. <laughs> well, life is precious and life is short. Um, I love the little, um, the, the poem that I have in here. Life is short, live it. Love is rare, grab it. Anger is bad, dump it. Fear is awful, face it. Memories are sweet, cherish them. Uh, friends are precious, embrace them. God is good, praise him. Um, I don't know who wrote that poem, but I just, I love that. And, um, you know, we just got to live life to the fullest. He, he's he got a, a purpose and a plan for each of us. And I love what my friend Kathy Lee says. Um, as long as we have a pulse, we have a purpose. So what is your purpose in life? Live it and live it to the fullest. Number three, you call it gift, Anne. <laughs> um, what a great word, because I do believe that every single one of us um, has been given a gift. And, you know, it could be a gift of motherhood, a gift of, you know, being in the work workforce. Um, I, you know, tend to say everybody has been given something in their hand. And if we are um, able to open our hands and, and just surrender that gift to the Lord and see what he has in store for us, um, big things, big things. Number four, joy. <laughs> this was a fun little um, uh, devotional that I read. My, my actual name is Joy Ann. Um, so and my mom's name is Joy, but, um, you know, I, this is a fun little um, special. I, I would tell you my children say that I lack a little bit of joy sometimes. I try to be joyful all the time. Um, but just going through life and, um, and the trials and tribulations that a lot of us face, we need to cling to that joy. Um, that he can only give us. And uh, the, the scripture that I have here is from First Chronicles sixteen twenty seven. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his dwelling place. And mm. just talk about, you know, our, our, where we can find our joy, and it's in him always. Now, let me explain what we're doing here. Ann Nielsen is with us. She's in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, her book is called Ann Nielsen's Angels, Devotions and Art to Encourage, Refresh, and Inspire. Uh, and we've arrived at the fifth word you write about. It's simply called obedience. Tell us more. Oh, gosh. I um, Obedience. Um, it's a, and I love this one, too, because I talk about um, when I was in a prayer. Um, well, actually, I was, in, I was by myself, and I was praying for big things. And I kept hearing the Lord, you know, tell me to pray for this. And that's when my children were really little. And my little, my daughter had lost a, a stuffed animal that she loved. And I kept hearing the Lord, you know, pray for the stuffed animal. I'm like, well, why should I even pray for that? I mean, it's lost. And um, anyway, I did pray for it. It's just such a crazy, beautiful story. But um, I left the chapel. I happened to walk to the receptionist of the um 
of the front office of the church. And um, I just asked him, I said, you know, is there a lost and found? And she said, yes. She said, what are you looking for? I said, well, it's weird, but my daughter lost her stuffed animal like three weeks ago. And she opened her drawer and she pulled out the little stuffed animal and it had a note because some other little girl had found it. And they said that if you hadn't heard from the person that lost it by, you know, nine o'clock on such and such date, then she was going to call that person. And it was that date, that time. And, you know, it just was out of obedience of praying and listening to the Lord um, for the even the small things in life. Um, but that was just such a, just, you know, just a, a credible story for me to pause and, and be obedient in the small things. So big words. Sometimes it's hard for us to be obedient in the small things, but he calls us to be obedient in all things. And what do you write about word number six, wisdom? Wisdom. And I love this book because um, what we did was in the beginning, it has the, um, the actual definitions and then um, it goes into scripture and the little um, devotional. But wisdom is the ability to discern inner qualities and relationships, insight, good sense, judgment. And um, the scripture is from James three seventeen. But the wisdom that comes from the from heaven is first of all pure, then peace loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit impartial and sincere. Um, and then I'm going to have to have the readers kind of dig in. I'm not going to spoil what the devotion says about that. <laughs> Let's move to number seven. It's called habit. Well, I think that um, that's a great word for us all. Um, they say that it takes, what, 40 days to form a habit. Mm-hmm. And um, I... I'm not a very good person for habits. I, you know, exercise, and eh, don't like to really exercise. But if I get into that habit, then it's great. Um, but one thing that is a powerful habit for me is to really have God's Word embedded into the depths of my soul. Um, one thing that I love to do, and this was not my idea, it was a dear friend of mine, but I, we all have phones, and they're glued to our hips. And so I um, have a habit of putting the scripture into the calendar. And my favorite life verse is Ephesians 3.20. I'm not a morning person, so I have it plugged in for 3.20 p.m., not 3.20 a.m., but that God can do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. So every day that scripture pops up on my phone, and it's just a reminder that God is doing great things in my life. And so whatever the habits are, it's just, it's a good, you know, it's good to form good, healthy habits. Now, (laughs) I want you to talk to us about a word that's a little unusual. It's called guide. What does that mean? Oh, and I love this devotional that we put together. Um, I, I do a lot of flying. And, um, or I used to before, you know, the pandemic, but, um, and when you're on the airplane and you are sitting there and, you know, some pilots will come on there and say, you know, this is Captain Bob and, you know, we'll be flying at altitude, da, da, da. And, um, he'll give you all the details. And then sometimes you're sitting on the tarmac and you get zero 
And um, I talk about how, you know, God is our ultimate guide. And, you know, when you truly tune in and you trust our Heavenly Father as our guide, then you can trust in Him. And um, so that was a fun little devotional, but letting the Lord be our guide in all things, all things in life, even even the rocky times that we're going through, He still guides us. And explain to us surrender. Another great word. <laughs> There's so many good ones in this one. And the reason why I chose these words are, you know, people can, you know, they can take a word, they can meditate on that for the day, for the week, for the month. Um, surrender is huge. And I tell this to my team, um, you know, as long as we surrender our hands and our hearts to the Lord, um, I was in my, tw- my late 20s, early 30s, and um, desperately wanted to be married. Um, I did get down on my hands and knees. I can remember this like it was yesterday. I've been married to my husband 27 years now. But I just surrendered everything to him. I surrendered everything. My failures, my, you know, mistakes, my past, everything. I just surrendered to the Lord. And the peace that passes all understanding just fell on, you know, over me that day. Um, And just my walk with the Lord, um, you know, this dream of being an artist, this you know, like I said earlier, what's in your hand, whatever tools, whatever um, whatever gift he has given you, if we surrender it back to him, then he will go before us and he will make our path straight. So that's a word that, you know, we need to do daily, surrender, surrender our children, surrender our marriages, surrender our, you know, our hopes and our dreams. Um, so good word for number nine. <laughs> Number 10 is called Foundation. Tell us more, Ann. Well, we built our house um, it's been 19 years ago. And um, that, you know, when you, if you've ever built a house or if you're in construction or, you know, you know that the foundation is the most important part. And when we were digging the footings for the foundation to the right side of our house, we had about oh, I don't know, maybe six, eight feet of bad dirt. And they had to dig up that bad dirt because usually a foundation is about, you know, two feet the perimeter of your home. Um, But the builder had to dig up eight feet of bad dirt so that when he poured the foundation, the house would remain sturdy. Because over time, we hadn't dig up that bad dirt, it would have compromised that foundation. So I talk about having you know, just a rock-solid foundation in the Lord. And um, so that when trials, when tribulations come, then nothing, nothing can um, compromise that foundation. So great word. Um, Tell us about... Excuse me. Mm -hmm, Bless you. Um, (laughs) And we got to take a break. And then when we come back, we're going to do still... Fellowship, Hope, Connect. Fascinating book written by Ann Nielsen and um, Ann Nielsen's Angels, Devotions and Art to Encourage, Refresh, and Inspire. Speaking of books, I have a new book out that I've just finished writing. It's called The Reluctant Leader. 
Why are so many men and women reluctant when the opportunity presents itself to step up and lead? Uh, they may have many excuses, you know, I'm too busy, or I uh, get somebody else, or I'll help, but I don't want to take the lead. Anyway, I think you'll enjoy this book. Go up to Amazon, good way to order books, as well as Ann Nielsen's Angels. Uh, we're back after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word, in Orlando. Ann Nielsen is our guest uh, in, from Charlotte, North Carolina. Ann Nielsen's Angels, the name of the book. And Ann, as uh, advertised, uh, tell us about the word still. Uh, just, do we ever sit still in this world? <laughs> um, it's a great word. I, I will tell you the number one um, word that I would hear from friends and um, with people in, you know, in and out of the gallery, it's, oh, my gosh, you're so busy, you're so busy. And I never really want to glorify that word busy. So I came up with an acronym um, that we need to be uniquely serving Yahweh by using what is specifically yours. And, you know, I chose this word still because it really is hard for us to sit still. And um, And I feel like and I talk in the devotional about how my daughter lives in New York. I have a love-hate relationship with New York because I love being there, but maybe only for three days. Um, it's a very loud, busy city. Um, but if you could just step aside and be still, um, that is where the Lord can really speak to you. And um, the scripture that I use is from Exodus fourteen fourteen: The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. And so, um, great word. I think it's a, um, a good practice for us all just to be still in moments of our days, our busy days, whether you're a mom, you know, doing loads of laundry, you can just pause and be still in your laundry room. And um, it's a good word to kind of cling to, uh, especially, and I think that a lot, of, a lot of people might have found that this whole pandemic of us just kind of slowing down the pace of life, they're finding pockets of being still. How about this word, uh, fellowship? What do you write? Oh, gosh, and that is a, um, a good word um, that, you know, we all need. And fellowship is, um, it's, it's, it's what God created us. You know, he created us to fellowship with one another, to have relationship with one another, and um, and to have friends that, you know, that scripture, iron sharpens iron. Um, so I, I think that is a strong word. Um, another little um, nugget is, you know, back to busy. I had a friend come up to me and say, oh, gosh, you know, we hadn't seen each other in years. And she said, I know you're busy. And I'm like, I'm not really busy. Let's have that coffee and let's set up that date for tomorrow. And um, we sat in the coffee shop and for hours just caught up. And I think, you know, fellowship, especially now uh, with, you know, where everybody in this world has been, they, we can't travel, we can't, you know, we're, we're confined to our homes or, you know, the, the whole pandemic so important to make that time um, and, and nurture that fellowship with one another. Um, 
So good word, God created us to fellowship with one another and encourage one another and to lift one another up. Um, we need it and, more than ever. And Nielsen is with us from Charlotte, North Carolina. Hope is the next word, Ann. Mm. This brings back tons of memories that we took a, my husband and I took my uh, second daughter, a group of uh, eight girls on a trip for their senior spring break. We went down to the Virgin Islands, and I remember we were sitting on the top of the boat, and we were just laughing and talking, and, you know, I told them that without an anchor of faith, that they would drift and be cast about by storms and the waves that come with life. Um, but their surest anchor is in the hope provided by God who loves them no matter what. And as the tides ebb and flow, um, the Creator who paints each wave and commands the seas to calm provides Himself to us and as an anchor to grasp in the midst of choppy waters. And I remember sharing this story of, you know, if they have their anchor of, you know, in God, that no matter what, no matter what comes their way, that they're not going to drift. And so this is kind of devotion. This is a beautiful devotion about just, you know, keeping your your hope in God. Next word, and connect. What does that mean? Um, that's kind of the same thing as fellowship, but just, you know, connecting, connecting with people. Um, I think that... You know, our, our, like I said, our phone, our, we're so connected with our phones and texting and, you know, that this, this, the ways of the world are slowly, we're being disconnected by people, but God wants us connected. Um, and so pick up the phone, connect with a, you know, a long lost loved one or, um, you know, relationship that you haven't talked to and it's, um, you know. Stay connected. The de- definition for that is to become joined or to have a, to have or establish a rapport. So stay connected with, you know, your loved ones. Next word, and create. <laughs> that is um, a great one. Uh, another great word. God is the the, the master artist. Um, and, you know, like I said, when I was, uh, well, I don't know if I even told you this, but when I was little, I knew um, that I wanted to be an artist when I was little. So I, um, I wrote a paper in third grade, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be an artist. And God had a sense of humor because in 10th grade, I made a D minus in art class. Um, but I did end up, you know, going into the art field and starting my own business and um, creating. And I, I just, I love that God is the master creator, but he created each of us in his own image. And um, he's that, that um, quote from Pablo Picasso, every child is an artist. The problem is they forget when they grow up. So um, this just talks about, you know, create, creating and what has God created in you to create in this world and um, be the image bearer of who he is. Now, and I want you to get into a very interesting word here. You call it witness. 
Well, okay, I love the phrase, um, preach the gospel at all times, but when necessary, use words. And um, I, 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 in this devotional, I talk about, I have a dear friend um, who we do a lot of traveling with, and she can sit on an airplane or be in a coffee shop, and she can strike up a conversation and um, and just get their whole history and not from a complete stranger. Me, not so much. I sit on an airplane. I'm like, have the flashing, do not disturb, do not disturb. But I talk about how each of us is, you know, created and how each of us can witness to other people. Some can witness by um, just the way they communicate. Others can witness by, you know, just their actions, simple actions. Um, And so we're all um, created differently, but we're all created to witness. Um, So I kind of share a little light on that. Um, So however you're created, whether you're a talker or whether you're a silent doer, um, witness to the glory of God. One more, one more word, worship. That is um, the heartbeat of why I do what I do. I, I paint these angels, these ethereal angels. I've always painted with praise music. And, um, and that is my time of worship. Um, I, I love praise music. I love just having a, a blank canvas and allowing the Holy Spirit through the power of the words that I'm listening to flow out onto the canvas. My guest has been Ann Nielsen, owner of Ann Nielsen's Fine Art Gallery in Charlotte, North Carolina. Her book, Ann Nielsen's Angels, Devotions and Art to encourage, refresh, and inspire. Uh, make sure you get that book. It's it's a beauty. We just uh, touched on it very lightly here today. You're listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We've got a wrap-up right after this, so stay tuned to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Wayne Grudem was our guest in that first segment from Phoenix, uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, actually, talking about his book, Systematic Theology, and then Ann Nielsen, <clears throat> author of Ann Nielsen's Angels. They were our two guests. So glad that we could uh, have them join us. Uh, folks, we're trying to bring Major League Baseball to Orlando. You can be a big help. Head up to that website, orlandodreamers.com, orlandodreamers.com, and just check in. Tell us your feelings. Good idea? Uh, interested in season tickets, perhaps, if this all works out? Uh, we'd love to hear from you. OrlandoDreamers.com. We're back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Stay tuned all day long to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. And that's a good place to stay on your dial all week long. See you next weekend. <laughs>